Good morning. It's good to see all of you this morning. Welcome to church. 11 o'clock. Hope you had a great morning so far. Who are we kidding? Most of you just woke up. That's how we roll at 11 o'clock. Uh, there's so much going on at church these days. You just got to pay attention to all the spaces that we communicate stuff and have a working email on file. I'm not going to run through it all this morning, but just want to say thank you for being here. Um, we're about to jump into the second to last message in our People Problem series. Uh, before we do that, would you just pray with me? God, we thank you for spaces like this where we can kind of step out of the busyness and the chaos of life and just seek you and your voice and worship you. And this, this room, it's not about us, it's about you. And we need to hear your voice. We don't need more me. We don't need my voice. We don't need more of ourselves. We just need more of you. I pray that you would meet us in this space, that you'd be speaking to us, that we'd be attentive and listening and willing. And for those that roll into here exhausted, I pray that you would give them strength. Those that are discouraged, that you would be their encouragement. Those that are lonely, that you would help them to know your presence. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Old school, they used to go, amen and amen. Double down on the amens. They'd be like, I say amen and you all say amen. That's the old school way. <laughs> a couple of you got it. It felt good. It was like sentimental. It made me feel, feel like I was a kid again. Hey, uh, so we're jumping into this message, um, people problems, second to last one. And this one is all about loneliness and the unhealthy relationship patches that we kind of plug into our lives because of loneliness. And it's going to be a little bit hard maybe and a little bit difficult and messy for you this morning, if, especially if recently you've been struggling with loneliness, but there's a whole lot of hope in what God says about it. And aren't you glad that um, the Bible is useful like God's word, like 2 Timothy 3.16, that like all of this is useful to us, that God didn't just like give us some lofty idea. He actually gave us a roadmap for life and how to live better and how to grow and live in relationships more. And we've been looking at that through the series, just kind of like what's God's way for us to interact in relationships, acknowledging that relationships are a gift from God and they're extremely important to us and his design for our lives. Often relationships are the context for growth. And we're not just talking about your significant other. We're talking about all relationships in this series and trying to say, like, is there a better way? And if, the, if God has a better way for me to treat my wife, my kids, my coworkers, my bosses, my, my employees, if God has a better way, then I wanna be on, I wanna be on that plan and so we're winding this down. Today we're talking about loneliness, and next week we're talking about the most important thing in relationships and interactions with people, and then we'll be on to some different stuff. Um, loneliness. The time I felt most lonely in life happened in a really strange kind of set of circumstances. One of my best friends in col from college and I were taking our Thanksgiving break and decided to head to Boulder, Colorado, where he was from, and just do some exciting, adventurous type of stuff and forget about school for a little while. And while we were out there, we did a number of like crazy things that I'm not proud to admit or share, would not, not share with my kids. Like One of the things we did that I do not want my kids to do is we decided we were going to explore an abandoned mind. 
This mine was on the outskirts of Boulder in the mountains, and I don't know what they had mined out of it before, but it had been abandoned for a long time, and there were like gates, and it was locked off, but we found a way around those gates, which is the first sign like you shouldn't probably be doing this thing, right? And at first it was pretty easy. You could see people had been in there and doing their thing. And as we went on, though, like the signs of people being in there kind of disappeared. And all that was left was what whatever the miners had left on their way out whenever they decided to call it quits in this place. There were shafts going down with ladders filled with water from flooding. There were wires sticking out of the walls that seemed like they should have been connected to one of those things that goes like, boom, you know, like, I don't know what those things are called. Uh, But all of a sudden, it was like seeming like, okay, this was probably a little dangerous. My buddy would ask me like, hey man, you want to turn around? And for fear that he was braver than me, I would be like, no, I'm good. You good? And not wanting to disappoint me, he would be like, yeah, I'm good. I didn't find out until much later in life that neither of us wanted to be walking down this. We both wanted to turn around, but because of our unwillingness to talk about our real feelings with each other, we just kept heading down this mine. We ended up about a mile under a mountain, and the cell service, let me just tell you, is terrible in places like that. It's just downright awful. Like, I don't, Verizon should be ashamed of themselves or something. We got to the end of this mine shaft, and at the end of it, um, it was a pile of rubble, and at the top, this little hole. We're like, okay, that's where the ceiling had collapsed down, and maybe we should see what's past there. Which I can't explain that type of logic. It was just really dumb. You couldn't really like crawl on all fours through it. It wasn't big enough. You had to like kind of like squirm through this hole. And so my buddy Chad and I squirmed, climbed up the rubble pile, squirmed through this hole. And past this little hole, we found the end where they had stopped digging. It was like a small bedroom or something, you know, of just rock. And you see where they had started to dig, but then had called it off or decided that whatever, whatever happened with the mine, they called it quits and abandoned it. We decided that we were going to sit against the far wall as deep as we could underneath this mountain and turn off our headlamps and just sit in quiet for like a minute. And can I tell you that that minute was the most terrifying minute. And I have been in some terrifying situations with other human beings in my life. But that minute was like the most terrified I have ever been. Sitting there in complete and utter darkness and silence, I couldn't see my hand right in front of my face. My best friend sitting right next to me, but it felt like he was miles and miles away. And what was most terrifying about that moment was the feeling of utter loneliness. Scary stuff. And as I think about loneliness, I think about that moment, and I think about how nowadays you could be surrounded by people and still feel so alone. You have wife and kids and a good workplace and a good job, and people love and respect you and listen to you, and you could still feel so alone in the middle of all of it. And I think nowadays, more than maybe any other time in history, we are so connected and yet feel so disconnected. We, have all, we can know everything. It's all right here. We can know whatever we want to know about whoever we want to know. You know stuff about me. I know stuff about you. And yet we still feel so unknown. 
We're surrounded and yet isolated. It's lonely. It's lonely. And maybe you roll into church this morning and you've been wrestling with this secret battle of loneliness. Maybe it's not all the time. Maybe you do a pretty good job of covering it up. Maybe it's emotional, right? Like you have all the friends, but somehow emotionally you feel lonely because no one really understands you. No one really gets the burden you carry. No one really understands the responsibility you shoulder. No one really gets the questions you've been asking and you just feel emotionally alone. Or maybe you feel socially alone. You just don't have the people you used to have. The friends that were close, maybe something happened. Or maybe worst of all, you feel spiritually alone. Like somehow, even though you're sitting in church, even though you just did a really phenomenal job mouthing all the words to the worship songs, that's what I used to do, right? Like, you're you're here, you're with your people, but yet somehow you still feel spiritually like isolated and alone. Like God's really far. Like maybe he isn't for you and isn't with you. Like maybe it's because of what you did or how you've been doing, but you feel spiritually just alone. It's a really tough, difficult place to be, and if you're struggling with loneliness, I I want you to know that you're not alone in that. It feels alone, you think you're alone, But the Bible is full of the stories of its greatest characters struggling with loneliness too. I'm preaching this message having struggled with loneliness too. There are lots of other people in this room that get exactly how you're feeling. We just cover it up and hide it so well. We just keep others out of that space because it's really messy. But you're not alone. Moses' story that I want to look at is found in chapter 11 of the book of Numbers. It's way in the beginning of your Bible if you want to follow along or if you want to pull up your phone. It's pretty easy to find because you just type it in. Numbers chapter 11, and just a little backstory if you're flipping there or pulling out your device to follow along. Moses is leading the nation of Israel. He's led them out of captivity in Egypt where they were slaves. Not a good scenario. They were crying out for rescue from their slavery. God sent Moses. Moses, through these miraculous things, there's movies, go watch them, or better yet, read, read about them in the book of Exodus. It's incredible thing. God has done some incredible stuff. He's been, the, the, the army chased him down. He wiped the army out. There's pillar of fire, pillar of cloud. It's just absolutely epic. As Moses has been leading them, and this nation has been watching God do all of this incredible stuff. But, By chapter 11, verse 4, like they're getting downright hangry. They're mad. Like they're ready for some meat. (laughs) And what's crazy about this whole story is it sparks here because they're sick of eating manna. They're like over the carbs. They don't want to do it anymore. They just want like some meat, like a sandwich. Like that's what they want. Now listen to this story. It's a little bit ridiculous, but it points us to something really important. It says, the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. You ever been there? (laughs) We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. How ridiculous is that sentence? Remember when we had that halibut 
and it didn't cost us anything. It was so good. Yeah, I remember. You were a slave. You were, you were getting beaten every day and carrying rocks around to build the Egyptian empire. Good times, huh? You really enjoyed that fish? So stupid. It's, it's worse. They're like, oh, don't forget there were cucumbers and melons. I'm not making it up. It's right. It says, also, the cucumbers, melons, leeks. First of all, nobody likes leeks that much. I don't know how leeks ended up in here. Nobody. I've never met somebody that was like, mm, you know what I'm craving right now? Some leeks. It sounds phenomenal. Honey. It's been a tough day at work. Fry me up some leeks. <laughs> Onions and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but manna. This manna that God had miraculously been providing them as they're on this journey through the desert so they don't starve to death. It goes on and describes in verse 7, the manna was like coriander seed and looked like resin. The people went around gathering it and they ground it in a hand mill or crushed it. I'm getting really hungry right now reading this. <laughs> crushed it in a mortar. They cooked it in a pot and made it into loaves. And it tasted like something made with olive oil. When the dew settled on the camp at night, the manna also came down. Moses, it says in verse 10, heard the people of every family wailing, every family in a nation wailing, wailing, not like, hmm, I really could go for some, a sandwich, not like, not like muttering or just complaining, you know, like, ah, remember, yeah, like I miss those ribs, like none of that, like wailing at the entrance of their tent. The Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, now this is where it gets really interesting and pertains to what we're talking about today. Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on an oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people that keep wailing to me? Give us meat to eat. And this, this is where it gets really revealing about Moses. I want you to pay attention to. We spend all this time trying to cover up what's really going on in our hearts. But right here, for Moses, it leaks out in these next two verses. It says, I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you are going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me if I have found favor in your eyes. And do not let me face my own ruin. The Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. 
Have them come to the tent of meeting where Moses would go and meet with God. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there and I will take some of the power of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. Tell the people, this is my one of my favorite parts. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard when you wailed, if only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord, this makes me feel so much better about my parenting right here. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. <laughs> you, will not e- you will not eat it for just one day or two days or five or 10 or 20 days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it. Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and you have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? That makes me so much, I feel so good. Like those, those times where I'm like, you are gonna eat those green beans. I'll give you, you want macaroni and cheese? I'll give you macaroni and cheese. You're gonna eat it till you're sick of it, right? Like makes me feel so much, I feel so much better about my parenting all of a sudden. But Moses said, here I am among 600 men thousand men on foot and you say I will give you meat to eat for a whole month would they have enough if it flocks and herds were slaughtered if all the flocks and herds were slaughtered for them would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them the Lord said to Moses is the Lord's arm too short now you will see whether or not what I say will come true if you're struggling with loneliness like Moses comes out there is God's arm too short to meet your needs. If you believe in this God, do you believe in a God with tiny T-Rex arms? <laughs> or do you believe in a God who is big enough to meet the deepest needs of your heart and the biggest things you're wrestling with? How big is your God? Moses was struggling with loneliness like all of us do. We, at some point, part of the human condition is, even if you're surrounded by people, even if you have people you love with, even if your marriage is good, like there will be times where you feel alone, like people just don't get you. People don't understand what you're going through. People don't really see you. People don't really know you. You don't have anyone you really can trust. It's such a lonely feeling. And here for Moses, it comes out in such a blunt and painful way. I cannot carry this by myself. You hear it there. He's like, I'm all alone in this. I've been trying to make it all by myself. I've been trying to carry this burden. I've been trying to do this for my family. I've been trying to do this for my people. I've been trying to follow you. I've been trying to do it all right. I've been trying and I can't do it. I can't do it by myself anymore. I feel so alone right now. I have no one to help me. I have no one who sees me. I have no one who understands this place in the world I'm stuck in. In fact, God, if you don't change this, just kill me. I can't go on anymore. The pain of loneliness forced out by his circumstances. I I wish we would be able to face the things we were going on in our hearts before our circumstances force us to. Wish we could learn how to deal with loneliness before betrayal. Wish we could learn how to deal with the need for love and acceptance before we're thrown into some sort of desperate life circumstance. I wish we could get there before our circumstances 
force us there. But we spend so much time playing the distraction game. So much time trying to cover up the things that are going on in our heart with busyness, with things to do, with games we play, with masks we put on, with drugs we take, all to drown it away. When really, God is just trying to get to the stuff that really matters in your heart. He melts down in here. And as he's melting down and having this meltdown, the loneliness just starts coming out about where he is and what he's going on, what's going on in his life. And the longer you carry loneliness, the heavier it gets. The longer you go trying to hide it, the bigger the burden. The longer you go not willing to acknowledge it yourself, the deeper the consequences and the effect it has on you, and it can drive you to a lot of unhealthy stuff. There's been a whole lot of bad relationship choices that have been made trying to patch the feeling of loneliness. We choose warmth over wisdom. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like the warmth of somebody over making a wise choice. We, we rush in where we should be patient for God's timing. We try to please people and we live for the acceptance and the favor of others instead of trying to live for the favor of God to experience that in our life. We complicate things in all of our relationships and it takes its toll on us. And here for Moses, the mental health toll it took was that he's on the verge of feeling suicidal at this point. He's just wishing his life would end like it has gotten that heavy, it has gotten that dark, it has gotten that lonely that he just wishes it was all over. I can't do another day like this. I can't go another week like this. I'm not gonna make it. Moses gets one thing right in this moment. Probably more than one thing. But he gets it out. Our prayers look like to-do lists. Like a grocery list of things that we ask God for. I'm guilty of it too. We, we, we spend our time in prayer like talking about so-and-so's hurt and that guy's broken foot and my boss is being mean, and we, we like list this stuff to God instead of actually really getting on our knees and just bearing our hearts to him. You feel lonely, and you'll go to your car where your kids won't see you, and you'll bawl your eyes out, but you won't talk to him about it. You lay in bed at night after everyone has fallen asleep, crying your eyes silently so you won't wake anybody up because you feel so alone, but we won't let God in there. I know why we don't. It's because it's messy and it's ugly and it's hurt. And who wants to go to those places where the ugly cry comes out? Like nobody wants to go there. It's messy. But if you want it says that God is close to the brokenhearted in Psalm 34, 18 and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Why won't we let him be close to us? Why do we keep stiff-arming him, 
keeping out of them because it's too messy? Because we're too ashamed about how we feel? You can trust him with the deepest needs and the deepest hurts in your life. You don't have to stiff arm God and keep him out of the mess. He wants to be in the mess. He meets you at your lowest places. And here, this beautiful picture of grace as Moses is pouring out his heart and God essentially says, I got you. Look at what I'm gonna do to help you now. Wonder how much sooner he could have experienced that if he would have let the hurt and the frustration out. Because like, oh man, go get a bunch of dudes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna help you. Go get your people. I'm gonna, I'm gonna help bring them to the tent where it was just you and I. You need these people. I got you. I'll provide them to you. God will meet you in the lowest place. He wants to meet you in the lowest. Stop stiff-arming him so you can experience the promise of Psalm 34, 18, that he is close to you, that he'll be with you in the mess, that he's with you in the hurt, that he's with you in the lonely spaces, he's with you in the dark spaces, and he will save you from that space. Stop stiff-arming him. Why won't you let him close? God surrounds Moses and sends him. I love that part. He surrounds him with the right people, and he takes him to the right place. Come back to the tent where we used to meet and bring these elders. I'm going to do something for you. You don't got to do it. I know you're tired, worn out. Just come to me, come to the right place, and I'll surround you with the right people. God is a God who cares so much, and he surrounds Moses. He, he, he lets him visually see God choose these people and enable them to carry the burden. You don't have to be isolated anymore. God will surround you with the right people and send you to the right places. Joshua 1.9 is this passage where the next leader of Israel, Joshua, gets this message. And as he's facing insurmountable tasks, God says to him this promise, be strong and courageous for I am with you wherever you go. What's so interesting about Joshua is he had been here with Moses this whole time. Like he had been Moses' assistant and he had been at that tent more than outside that tent, more than anybody else. He was right there. He, he was partway up Mount Sinai. He was doing all this stuff. He had heard all the conversation. He had a front row seat to everything that Moses had done, front row seat to so much God had done through Moses. He was right there this whole time. It's interesting at the end of this chapter in verse uh, 28, God had done this thing with all these other people and some of the people that God had gifted start prophesying and they're prophesying back in town like God has, has been spreading the burden by Moses' request and some young man comes and runs and grabs Joshua and says, you're not gonna believe what's happening. These guys are at camp, are back prophesying and Joshua gets like defensive about his guy. Moses, his friend, his mentor, a father-like figure in his life, he gets defensive about it and he's like, he goes to Moses and he says to Moses, he says, Moses, my Lord, stop them from doing that. But Moses replies, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And then Moses and the elders returned to camp. 
What's interesting about that little reaction interaction is that here, finally, Moses is like, no, Josh, you don't get it. This has been heavy. I wish everybody shared this weight. I wish it was, it's not just, I wish it was everybody. Joshua had been there the whole time. And Moses had never even let him in. You see, sometimes we are blind to what God has been doing and what he has been providing for me. My guess is that he has already been providing you with people and encouragement and stuff to help see you through this lonely space you are in. Sometimes we just don't see it. Maybe you're here this morning to see it, to see this. To see that maybe you haven't been looking, but God has been there. Maybe this morning is affirmation. Maybe one of the songs is affirmation that God has been there, that he has been providing for you, that he won't let you go, that you'll never have to walk alone, that you have his presence and that he will provide you and surround you with everything you need. Everything you need. So I think about this, and I think about when I'm lonely, when you're lonely. I I got a couple of things here just to end it. First is, like, maybe we could start to see our loneliness as an opportunity for deeper growth and deeper connection. What What if this lonely space is an opportunity for us to finally stop playing games? What if this lonely space is an opportunity for us to experience a sweetness of a God whose arm is not too short for you? He will make good on his promises. Wherever you are, whatever you're going through, he can reach you. He can hand you what you need for the moment you're in. His arm is not too short for you. What if we could see these lonely spaces not as weakness but as opportunities, not as failures but as moments for growth? What if we could see these lonely spaces as that? What if we could start to practice solitude in the middle of our lonely spaces? Jesus did it. He got alone often. He got alone often to connect with his Father in heaven. And what if we could practice solitude intentionally like Jesus did to connect with God and to connect more with what's really going on in our lives and to somehow be okay with both? Be okay with God being the source of your need instead of someone else. Be okay with you and the journey God's doing. And what if, what if those places where we could practice solitude and we learn a bunch of stuff about what really is going on in our hearts is actually essential to the next relationship, to the deeper intimacy we hope for with people. So we keep dragging our own baggage and our own junk into it. What if we could practice solitude in the midst of loneliness? What if we could be better at watching the patches we try to throw on to get rid of the feeling of loneliness? What if we could trust God's timing instead of just rushing ahead to make it go away? What if we could get the choices right? What if we could not compromise just to feel better? What if we could learn to live in his grace, which is sufficient for us no matter what we're going through? What if we could make healthier relationship choices? Like maybe we're not finding the person we need that we feel would take all of our relationship problems away and make this loneliness disappear. 
Maybe that's not there. It's not God's timing for that right now. But maybe it's time to make good, healthy, relational choices out of our lonely space. To deepen our connection with God's people. To support others. To be the kind of friend you want to have. To be the kind of spouse you want to have. To be the kind of boss you would want to have. To be the kind of worker. What if we could be the one you want? Be the one you want. And wait on God as he meets the deep needs of your heart. Meets you in your loneliness. I don't know. Loneliness is tough, man. We've all been there. And it can be a dark place. And it just can lead to some really unhealthy stuff. And my prayer for you this morning is that you would know God's presence in the midst of your loneliness. That you would understand that his arms aren't too short for you. Whatever you're going through, whatever burden you are carrying, whatever need you have, he can be your source and he will not fail you. He will not fail you. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for Moses and the example, the rawness of this passage, and even the humor of it. I pray for anyone that maybe is carrying loneliness this morning, that that even during the the rest of the service, the two songs we're going to end with, that they would just have a sense of your presence and know that they're not alone, that you're with them. Forgive me, forgive us for the times we stiff arm you and keep you out from the real stuff that's going on in our hearts when you are the real one who could heal those things. Forgive us for the barriers we build and the distracting games we play to just bury those kind of feelings in our lives and help us to just have an open and honest heart before you. you are who you say you are, if we truly believe that, then we can trust you with the mess of life. We're so thankful for meeting us in our lowest moments. We're so thankful that you have a future for us that is full and beautiful and amazing. And though we have to walk through some valleys sometimes, so glad that you're in it with us and that you're taking us somewhere better. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.